May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Worthless. I was thinking about how what a strange word worthless is. It's a compound word made up two two other words. Worth, uh, a a word that denotes value, and less, which is a term of comparison, usually of smaller degree. Um, so you have to have two things of, of like category, two coins, um, a quarter and a dime. The dime is worth less. But that's not how we use the word worthless. We use the word worthless to mean something that is totally, altogether devoid of value. I was imagining, you know, somebody selling something that was not worth anything. So, you know, like maybe maybe Youngworth is over on the side of the street and he's selling banana peels, you know. I got banana peels for sale, you know. They're, I want a dime a piece. I've got, I've got cases of these to move, you know. And he he's probably would sell some. But, you know, you can just imagine yourself going up to him and like... You're selling banana peels? Yeah, banana peels. Not the banana. No, I already ate the banana. Uh, you're, so you're just selling a peel. Yeah, that's it. I mean, those would be worthless. I don't want banana peel. Who would want... Why are you selling banana peels? We would say the same thing about, like, eggshells, right? Or apple cores. I mean, maybe you could find some use out of these things, but by and large, they are worthless. I was in Canada not long ago, and um, I paid for something, and, uh, you know, it was, I don't know, a couple dollars and change, and the, the person only gave me back, like, a dollar. There was no, and it was a dollar coin, too. There were no pennies. And I didn't really care. It was four pennies, maybe. And, but I was sort of, uh, you know, amused that they didn't even give it back to me. And, and the person says, oh, we no longer use pennies in Canada. I mean, they're still part of the way we figure out uh, prices, but we don't use the actual pennies. Like, well, that's, that's weird, you know? But the truth is, we don't either. We don't use pennies. I mean, it, we, we get them. They come and go, right, in, in the change that you maybe receive if you ever use cash. But, but they're worthless. People see them on the street. They don't even bother to bend down and pick them up. One of my kids, I'm not going to tell you which one, um, cleaned out his car a couple of weeks ago and left some coins in the driveway. And they were there for days. Nobody picked them up. I mean, for heaven's sake, they're probably still there. I don't know. But like, they wouldn't even pick up these coins. And this is the way we are, right? We wouldn't even bend over to pick up a nickel or a dime or maybe even a quarter. I'm not sure. Why? Because coins are no longer a measurable currency in this economy. They just have become virtually worthless. Not completely worthless, but nearly that. What do we value? Well, paper money, for one. Uh, this past, uh, I don't know, it was this last week or so, was a um, pumpkin show down in Circleville. And uh, I didn't get to go, but uh, I was remembering, as I was working through this sermon, one of my sons, my oldest son, um, I think they took a, a $5 bill, and they, they taped a, um, a, uh, a fishing line to it. And stretched it out and put it on the steps where all these adults were going in and out of the, uh, the, the local lodge that's right downtown. And so here's my son Nick over on the side of the portico and there's a $5 bill laying out in the middle of the steps. And people would walk up and they would see it and they would bend down to pick it up and he would yank on that, that fishing line. And so the money would go away from them. And, and then, you know, of course, all the kids are hanging around and watching it and just having a, a good old time laughing at these, uh, these poor miserable souls who, who got gypped out of a $5 bill. 
We value things that are new and shiny. You know, a new car, a new boat, a new truck, a new motorcycle. I mean, those are things that we value, don't they? Craftsmanship. You know, the, the work of a skilled craftsman, an artist, performers, good wine, good food. These are the things we value. We even, we even watch television shows where people are getting to experience this, and we aren't. You know, it's like uh, my wife and I, we watch these, uh, these uh, HGTV shows on occasion where they're remodeling something. You know, somebody comes in and they do this remodeling work. And, uh, get a brand new kitchen or a family room or whatever. And, and we see the thrill on the faces of the people who get that. And we kind of get a thrill out of watching them knowing how much they would enjoy it. But we ourselves have to go downstairs into our old living room and see all the stuff. That, you know, it's not like this. But we can imagine what it must be like. Same thing with cooking shows. I love um, this uh, this uh, chef Bobby Flay and there's a show Beat Bobby Flay where these if you don't know he's a famous world famous chef and so these two chefs come in and they compete with one another for the chance to, to beat Bobby Flay in a cook off and I watch it and I never get to taste any of the food you know and I, 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 but I imagine what it might be like I, and I could use the idea and make it myself I'm not going to but I thought about you know I could I do imagine the people who get to experience the joy of these valuable things, this great carpentry, this skilled cooking, they get to enjoy that experience. And maybe there's something that I can see in that and because I value it too. And there are the things that we value. We value comfort and leisure and satisfaction, and of course we value these things. Jesus tells a story in today's gospel lesson. It's a second story about prayer. Last week he told a story about being persistent in prayer, not giving up. Don't, don't quit praying, especially for God's kingdom to come. Be persistent. And Luke sort of, he kind of clued us in. That this is what this is going to be about. He told them a story that they should always be persistent in prayer. And today he sort of gives us a heading again. He, he records this. He says, he told, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Don't miss this. Luke tells us why Jesus told this story. And it's another little once upon a time story on people who were trusting in themselves, people who relied upon themselves, that they were doing just fine. People who compared themselves to others and thought that others were worth less or maybe even worthless. Jesus says two men went up to the temple to pray. Once upon a time, two men go up to the temple to pray. Well, a lot of people go to the temple to pray all the time. And he tells us the two men. The first one's a Pharisee. And in Jesus' day, everybody would have respected the Pharisee. He's a very religious man. Wore all this religious garb. I mean, he's a layperson, but he, he was clearly outlined as a religious man. Um, you know, think of the way that, uh, that we see Amish and Mennonites, uh, or even priests and, and nuns walking around in, in, in distinctive clothing. And, and this Pharisee would have been like that. Would have worn distinctive clothing. And he would have had a prayer shawl over his head uh, that he would have wore while he was praying. So it was a... A, a prayer clothing garment. And he has these long curls coming down the sides of his face. You know, these long, uh, long uh, sideburns that are, are, are signs of his, his religious devotion. He, he never eats food that's not been cleared by a priest. It's kosher. He, he, he never works on a Saturday, on, on the Sabbath. From, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, won't work and will not allow anyone in his home to work. 
He was uber religious. He kept every religious custom of his father and of his father's father and of his father's father's father and as far back as you can remember. And so, of course, this guy went up to the temple to pray. I mean, he's in the praying business. This is what he does. He's a, he's a prayer, you know. And, and then another fellow, a tax collector, Jesus says. You might think, oh, an IRS agent. No, not that easy. Not that nice. <laughs> and I'm not saying that the IRS is nice. I'm just saying not that nice. Uh, he's also Jewish, like the Pharisee. But you remember, Israel is occupied by Rome. He works for the Romans, the tax collector does. He's a Jew who works for the occupying nation. It would be like being Dutch and working for the Nazis in the 1940s. It was, this is something you don't do. I mean, he doesn't do it by compulsion either. He does it willingly. And he takes taxes, collects taxes from his neighbors, but then he also extorts them. He can charge whatever he wants. Pay the Romans what they require, you get to keep the rest. So he's a traitor. He's wealthy, and he's got himself rich on the backs of poor people. He is hated by absolutely everybody. He is irreligious. The fact that he is going to the temple to pray would cause Jesus' listeners to, you know, kind of sit back, raise their eyebrows, take a breath, like, wait a minute. This guy is going into the temple. And you heard the prayers, didn't you? The Pharisee prays first. He reminds God <laughs> how good God has it. I thank you, he says, that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, you know, kind of rabble-rousers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. And you know what? It's true. He actually does these things. Two times a week, he two days a week goes without food as a sign of devotion to God. Gives a tenth of all of his income as a sign of his devotion to God. He does not do what the Bible says you should not do. And he does, he does exactly what the Bible says one should do. The tax collector, on the other hand, has a different kind of prayer. Verse 13, the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The English translation is good, but it's not perfect. God, be merciful to me. This is a, a, um, a masculine singular uh, article in front of this. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Not one among many. I meant, I don't compare myself to anybody. I am just the sinner. And he too is correct. He's notorious. So Jesus' assessment of this situation is confounding. Jesus says, I tell you, verse 14, this man went down to his home justified, righteous, rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector went down justified, righteous, not the Pharisee. Why? Because he humbled himself. Here's the payoff. Jesus is telling us that God values humility and abhors arrogance. The point is not that immorality is valued over morality. Or that you can cheat others and sneak by with a little prayer. That's not the point. The tax collector goes home changed, transformed, righteous, justified. 
The point is not that good, rather that good deeds um, and perfect conformity to the law make you right with God. They do not. Humility makes us right with God. Notice the tax collector's change. He, 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 has, he recognizes the worthlessness of pride. So too to us, right? If we ever get to the point where we think we're better than someone else, woe to us. If we ever begin to congratulate ourselves on our piety and our righteousness, we are lost. If we ever begin to try to remind God how lucky He is to have us, oh, I think He'll begin to show us how foolish we are. Jesus says God values humility, abhors arrogance. Humility, though, is not self-effacing. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is remembering that we're all made out of dust. The same kind of dust. We all mess up, we all blow it. We all miss the mark. The word sin, hamatia in, in Greek, is, is from archery. It's, um, it's when someone draws back to shoot at a target and they miss the target. We all sin. And so we all recognize our need for mercy. We all recognize our need for charity. And that if we need mercy and we need charity, that we should be merciful and we should be charitable. And if we need understanding, we should all try to understand. There's a story about a man who stood at the gates of heaven. And St. Peter um, says to the man, um, welcome to heaven. Uh, Admission um, requires one million points. (laughs) And the man said, well, well, how do I get points? And and Peter Peter says, well, what do you have to offer? And the man said, well, I lived a good life. I I gave a tenth of all of my income for my entire adult life. And St. Peter said, that's great, one point. One point, just one. Yeah, just one point. What else do you have anything else to offer? Yes, the man said, well, I, I did. I, I did give money to the poor, and I worked at the homeless shelters. Um, I did this several times a year, you know, all my adult life. St. Peter said, that's really wonderful. Uh, that'll give you two more. You're up to three. And the man said, well, I went on a couple of short-term missionary projects. I, you know, I, I gave uh, a lot to third world countries. I, I worked, um, helped dig wells for the Peace Corps. And St. Peter said, that's wonderful. Um, you're up to four, four more points. <laughs> you know, once I give you nine, you know, you're... And the man says to him, well, at this rate, I mean, the only way I could get in would be by the grace of God. And St. Peter says, yes, and that's worth a million all by itself. We have no claim." We only come and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.